At a recent future CISO breakfast briefing, the topic of looming cyber threats in 2022 tipping the scale in your favor, one of the areas covered was the different types of attacks used to get the target to click on a link or proceed with the invite. During the panel discussion, it was acknowledged that cyber criminals are employing as many tactics as they can to get the intended target to fall prey to the attack. Given that targets are becoming more aware of what fake content in the form of social postings, email messages, and websites look like, cyber elements are decidedly combining various tactics approaches in the hope of landing that next victim. One such attack is referred to as a telephone-oriented attack delivery or TODES. To talk to us more about this threat is Adrian Kovic, Senior Director of Systems Engineering for Asia Pacific and Japan at Proofpoint. Adrian, welcome to Podchats for Future CIO. It's great to be here. Thank you so much. What exactly is telephone-oriented attack delivery? TODES, I guess, as the acronym kind of works out to be, really, I guess, a broad name for, I guess, a a level of attacks that are leveraging telephone in their tactics. And we've seen telephone attacks on both individuals and organizations more broadly for quite a while. Like, I think a few of us have had the call pretending to be from the ISP or pretending to be from various services and asking you to, to install a particular program or go to a particular web page or, you know, give them bank details. So we've seen that for a while. And I must say, in the years, we've also had relatively sophisticated versions of that where they pretend to be a supplier of yours and, and leverage some smarts around the way processes work. But we've really seen things step up in the last year or so. Um, and I guess there's a couple of reasons for that. And I guess a couple of ways that that's been exploited. I guess the first thing that I'll say is as we've gone through the epidemic um, and people have worked from home, that face-to-face communication has been replaced a lot with electronic and telephone communication. So people are becoming more used to that and it's becoming part of the way that business is done and attackers have have worked that out. And so most certainly having that voice on the end of the line versus maybe an email or a pop-up can be a really effective way for an attacker to gain trust. The second bit, I guess, is more technical. We've seen attackers leverage specific malware around telephones. So there's been a, a malware family called Loader and Barza Call, I should say, which has come out in the last year or so, which has been responsible for this massive explosion in texts that we see. And many of your listeners would have had the garbled texts asking to click on a link. Uh, and they then follow a process to try and in- install malware. So basically, the attackers have worked out. Long story short, the phone's a great thing to be able to use to deliver malware and to be able to you know, con people out of, inf- out of money uh, ultimately. How exactly dangerous can toads be? And could you give some examples of how this form of attack is being applied to consumers and businesses in Asia? Yeah, really good question. So the answer is, I guess, very dangerous. And I guess for the longest time, because at Proofpoint, we've spent a lot of time researching email threats and, and also toad threats as well. And the common factor they all have is they target the person. They're all really trying to work out ways to convince the person on the other end of the line or the other end of the of the email to do something, whether it to be click on a link or whether it to be give away usernames and passwords or you know, even install malware. So we have seen sort of that explosion. Um, in terms of what the, the danger that they're able to to, to do again they range from you know the single phone call which is not that complex if you like trying to get trying to impersonate a supplier and get information out of you all the way to being step one or step two in a much longer phase of of an attack that step one may be to pretend to be it support or pretend to be 
a supplier of yours and ask you to go on your computer to a web page. The public and the listeners out there are probably more attuned to not clicking on links in email, but if they get a phone call saying, hey, you know, calling, this is IT calling, we need you to click on this link. We need you to go to this URL in order to be able to download this particular software. You're possibly more likely to do that, right? And once you do do that, that opens up all of the same attacks that we see over email, stealing credentials to corporate environments, finding their way into a um, transaction to maybe reroute a transaction or installing things like ransomware as well. Contact centers have been around for many years. Now, it's specific to the contact center used as a threat vector. Now, they are evolving to become part of a more robust and complex attack chain, as you mentioned. Can you elaborate on what Proofpoint is seeing in this part of the world? Absolutely, it saw a spike in what we call our um, state of the fish report, um, where we know that uh, our telephone uh, oriented uh, attack delivery has become a key part of what uh, a lot of our customers have, or survey respondents, I should say, um, have, have received. And absolutely, those contact centers that have been around for a while, again, pretending to be Amazon or ISP, being used in conjunction with other attacks, right? So um, because of the, on the user side, uh, we're more likely to be talking over the telephone now as part of our business, but also the prevalence of IP telephony allowing phone calls to look like they're coming from anywhere. And the attackers knowing that today they might pretend to be Amazon, tomorrow they might pretend to be your supplier of paper, and the next day they might pretend to be your IT department. All having that brief on that attack means that they're in a much better position to use that 30 seconds, 50 seconds they have of you on the phone to much better effect. And again, yeah, we certainly see that across this region. Looking at it from the perspective of entry points, like the end user and then the enterprise, what can end users do in order to mitigate the risk of these? And then from the perspective of the businesses, uh, where do you begin to implement some sort of countermeasure against these things that protects not just the employees working, but also the business and its customers as well? Yeah, let me answer the second part first, because I think the first part is probably more general across both, right? So when it comes to um, businesses, a lot of these attacks are successful because of business processes that are either not there or not properly followed, right? So if an attacker is trying to convince you to, to change a payment destination, typically that's not something that's done over the phone. But with the right level of bravado and confidence, an attacker may be able to convince you to do that. Typically, you wouldn't get, click on a URL of someone over the Phone, but again, someone who with a level of confidence or a level of you know imperativeness or pretending to be a, to be a IT support or even a boss is going to be able to do that. So having businesses uh, and organisations really adhere to um, not only having those processes for those important financial transactions in place, but also well communicated and well trained, and that's a really important part as well, is going to be key to be able to to deal with that. Now, of course, on top of that, you need to be doing things like scanning email that's coming in that might be used in conjunction with these telephone scams. Of course, you need to be um, making sure that you've got robust controls on web filtering and so on. But that people element, again, processes and training on those processes becomes really important. So that's why my one sort of key advice, understand the processes train on it for organizations. Um, because yeah, we all have phones on this, right? We can't stop phones. More broadly, and this applies to both people in the corporate environment, but also people in their personal lives. The first rule is if something seems too good to be true, it probably is, right? So please use that is your number one kind of guide, right? In addition to that, you know, if someone's calling you from a bank, supposedly, or some other uh, institution or someone that you deal with, often ask to call them back. If your senses are uh, triggered by the conversation, you don't feel comfortable, say you're going to call them back. Ask for their name and say, I'm going to call back the head office of that bank. Very effective. That's the one thing I've told my mother to do um, because she seems to get these calls all the time. 
And if you are, again, concerned, make sure you report. In the various countries, we have different mechanisms. But if you are concerned, you know, potentially that you've been, had your identity stolen or something similar, then um, there's, I know, Singapore and a number of other countries in the region have the ability to be able to um, report that to the government as well. They're really important. But again, the, the main one is have your wits about you. And if something seems too good to be true, you're being upgraded or your Amazon uh, subscription is being extended or, hey, I need to log into your computer, please give me your password. All of those things should, again, trigger your concern. And if you feel concerned, terminate the call and offer to call back. Typically, the number listed um, officially for that organization. Let me get this straight. These are voice initiated attacks. Is that in, in most instances, yes. Right. So it, uh, um, don't we have yeah. tools and technologies that would allow us to screen these things? Like some some of our phones are supposedly smart enough or there's an app that's checking in the background for incoming calls to say, oh, this is a marketing number. Yeah, that's a really good question. And that was true. So and in various countries, there's sort of there's abilities to be able to do that. Right. So in my home country of Australia, there were some laws around texts. Right. So that the ISPs couldn't expect how attackers have got one of the few reasons. One is the IP telephony allows them to bounce through phone numbers um, that, that might might not be known. The second part is that Barza call uh, malware that I talked about is installed on Android phones. So one of the bits that these attackers have been able to do is bounce phone calls and more prevalently texts through these infected phones. Right. So a mobile phone running Android may be part of that. So it looks like it's coming from a normal person's phone, and um, but it's actually being uh, run by the malware operator. So they are quite smart about that too. It makes me wonder why, for all the efforts that enterprises are putting together to try and protect the organizations, including adding these different types of uh, security solutions out there, right? We seem to be always on a catch-up mode with the cyber criminal elements where they're coming up with new ways to attack and we're just being more reactive rather than anything else. Can an enterprise, from your perspective, be as proactive as the cyber criminals are proactive? Is that even possible? Yeah, absolutely. That's a really good question. That's one of the things we've been thinking a lot about here at Proofpoint. And over the years, we've developed, I guess, a, a mantra that says it's all about, in the end, the people, right? So in the end, the attackers may have different means and they might have thought of different vulnerabilities and so on. But in the end of the day, they're attacking people. So that's that sort of one key part of the chain. And so mm-hmm. if we concentrate our view of the attacker from that perspective, you know, it's not just putting technical measures in control to stop malware. It's also about training that person. Right? It's also about understanding their vulnerabilities. It's also about building a defense around the people rather than just thinking of it as a, as a technical problem. And so, like I said, that goes all the way from training all the way through to making sure they report and making sure that they are part of that solution. Um, and we call that people-centric security. For historical reasons, organizations have invested a lot in terms of security solutions, right? Whether it's endpoint solution or the one that you put on the server side, we've put in place all of these different security solutions to try and achieve the so-called uh, defense in depth. And then more recently, we we have this don't trust anything, right? the zero trust, zero uh, trust. Par- yeah. paradigm. But as you say, I mean, oftentimes the entry point is the human. The so-called weakest link also happens to be the first entry point for overriding the security elements of an organization. From business point of view, would it then make sense for us to redesign our security strategy so that we put more emphasis on the human aspect, protecting that person, either through more training or making sure that the policies in place are to protect both the user and the and the company, right? Whether it's authorized devices, that sort of thing, as opposed to just putting more security solutions in the back end. You, you hit on a really good point, and I think a lot of those paradigms have been challenged, particularly over the COVID 
COVID time, right, where organizations have invested a lot in things like firewalls and, like you say, endpoint detection and so on, all really designed to sort of protect the corporate network. And what's happened is we've seen people leave the corporate network, if you like, they're consuming more cloud services, they're working from home, they're maybe on mobile devices, and it's really sort of challenged that whole investment approach that we might have had around sort of the castle and moat approach. So absolutely, that sort of forced that catalyst. And again, it's something at Proofpoint we've been pushing for quite some time as a, as a new thought paradigm. Please understand in your organization who are the most targeted. Email and phone calls are a really good example. Who in your organization is the most targeted? And you can see that through telemetry and, and so on. Understand in your organization who's the most vulnerable, who's most likely to fall for threats, who is going to click on the link, who doesn't understand cybersecurity. And finally, who in your organization has the most privilege? So if they were, if they were compromised, then who could do the most damage, right? So having a person who, you know, might only work on a computer one day a week for, you know, and have very limited access is a very different risk model to a person who might be the CEO or a person who might be an HR or a person who might have access to customer details. And so once you start building that model out in a very people-centric way, you start to see, well, here's a person that gets attacked a lot. They get sent 50 bad emails a day and some of them are really scary. They seem to click on every link that they get and that's a bit concerning. And finally, they have access to all all this data. Maybe we need to start putting a people-centric view around what they do. We want to make, let's train them some more, right? Let's put some controls around what they can do. And if there is a link that comes through, maybe we make sure that link goes through an extra level of protection. You've hit on exactly right. We want to make sure we're looking at a people-centric view rather than just a purely technological point of view. Finally, I'm going to close this off. We're into the new year. We're coming halfway through the new year. Have the threats side changed dramatically from the point of view of this people-centric security model that you are proposing? And from the other side of the fence, the company itself, have the CISOs and CIOs and the leadership behind them come to a different understanding of what is a better way of protecting not just the company information and customer data, but also the employees as well? To your first point, absolutely the threats are changing, right? They've, from a technical point of view, advancement, you know, goes on. But we've really seen the um, the last couple of years with the move to the cloud, with COVID, you know, people um, working from home, et cetera. We've really seen attackers pivot really quickly to that, right? And so they are using cloud as part of their attacks. They are, they do know that people's usernames and passwords to different services might be the same and that, they're, you know, they're reusing those usernames and passwords across different services. And so if you compromise one, then you may have access to a lot more. They do know that people have now aren't seeing each other in the office office and so the communications over things like you know chat and email are becoming more prevalent um, and people may not actually even know each other physically like you know there are plenty of people I've been at Proofpoint for two years and there are plenty of people that I've physically not met so attackers know all that right and that we definitely see that flavor in the attacks these telephone oriented attacks that we talk about or ones that are combined with other tricks like email and web so absolutely we continue to see that we continue to see what they're trying to do evolve to be more profitable as well. From an organization point of view, absolutely, we're seeing a lot of organizations pivot to that. And that's basically most of my day is helping organizations who are Proofpoint customers adopt that people-centric strategy. They're looking at ways and they're saying, well, we used to invest here. We used to invest in you know, application control on our servers, but now all this, that's all in the cloud. It's all SaaS now. How do I make sure that that's protected? How can I build in controls that are cloud native? How can I look at things that are new, like inside a threat and make sure that I understand the threats but also the fact that I bring it back to the, that whole people part and reducing the risk to my organization.
what questions should the CIO and the CISO or maybe even the CFO ask, not just the, the supplier side organizations such as Proofpoint, but even the consultancy or integrators, all of these people trying to help provide this set of security solutions for my organization. What should I be asking you to find out whether we're a nice fit, whether your approach fits our business model? Yeah, that's a really good question. I guess the first bit is please make sure that you're looking at the vectors that attacks are come that are modern today, right? So by all means, people-centric view, but let's make sure that we understand that, you know, to give you an example, email is the number one threat vector. So let's make sure that we're looking at that. Web is obviously also important as well. The second part is, you know, how is this integrated with my organization? Are you trying to put a one-size-fits-all approach or is there a concept that understands that this part of my business is more attacked than another part. You know, this is where the information assets that we have are. How does your business align with the controls? And I guess finally, you know, are you investing in making sure that you're going to be able to adjust to the next threat? You know, what is the level of understanding you have of the threat landscape? Are you investing in research and development so that you can then apply the latest in, in intelligence to protect your organization? Yeah, Adrian, thank you very much for joining me on Podchats for Future CIO. No problem. Great to talk to you and look forward to the next chat. That was Adrian Kovich, Senior Director of Systems Engineering for Asia Pacific and Japan at Proofpoint on the topic of clamping down on toads. You are listening in the podcast for future CISO. As always, if you have a topic you'd like us to cover on this channel, simply email us at editors at society.com. We'd also like to invite you to sign up for a free weekly newsletter so you won't miss an episode of Podcasts for Future CISO. In the meantime, stay safe, have a great day, and see you on the next episode of Podcasts for Future CISO. Bye for now. Thank you.